Well, today I'm going to be continuing where Pastor David left off, which is like big shoes to fill. But it's it's very cool. Um, you know, he started a prayer series. And the last time that I was before you, I was going back and forth about what I felt like the Lord was wanting for me to share. And prayer was one of the things that he had put on my heart. And then, but then as I was kind of studying, I felt to pivot over to the tradition and what I taught on that. And then when pastors came back and they started to talk about prayer, I said, see, I knew that was good. <laughs> so I love that how God has been laying this foundation. And I think I've been watching it. Like, look, if you look at the sermon um, titles, like since the convention, how God has just been building one block on top of another. You know, he talked about the purpose of the Holy Spirit and prayer starts with our Father and knowing the love of God, knowing our benefits, knowing that we're forgiven, standing on the finished work of Christ. You know, we have to have these building blocks in order to be effective in prayer, right? And so I see how the Holy Spirit has been moving us into that direction to lead us into a place where we can be more effective in our prayers, to see answers to our prayers, and to be able to take on more responsibility in our prayers. And so um, so that's where we, we've been talking about all different kinds of prayer and how God has been just rejuvenating our faith in that. So I'm excited to be a part of that. That's really cool to me. So today I'm going to talk about prayer. I'm going to talk about intercession and watching prayer. So those are the two prayers that I'm going to cover today. And just to give you a little testimony or a little bit of history about Shannon, let me tell you about Shannon because I know about her best, right? Um, so since the beginning of my walk with the Lord, you know, after I came to faith in Christ, I, I began to, um, God put me around people with prayer. Oh, you know, it was like I was a brand new Christian and my two very best friends were, were people who were a little older than me and God. And they were people of prayer. And they, it was kind of like, they weren't like that much older than me, but, but I really looked up to them and we prayed about everything. It was like, you know, well, we're not, not just everything silly, but it was, it was kind of like whenever we had an open opportunity, we don't, we didn't know what to do. We didn't sit around and watch TV. We didn't go to movies. We would pray. We would go to church, <laughs> church meetings and then we would pray. <laughs> we would go in the car. Let's pray. And it wasn't just always like, pray because we had a petition or a need it was like let's see if God show up you know it's like we were excited about getting into the presence of God like that and so that was how we would that was our fun you know so um I remember they would pick me up for church and before that got out of the car we'd be in a van and we'd all circle around together and we would spend at least like 10 minutes just praying praying in the spirit and and just praying God's word over us before we just you know, dismantled <laughs> before we dispersed, you know, and so <laughs> dismantled, dispersed, whatever we did, you know, it was always having that, that time set aside to prayer. And it was through them that I was introduced to who a woman who became my pastor and my mentor, and they introduced me to a prayer group. And um, so they, when Monica and Anita introduced me to Pastor Barb, she said, she's an intercessor too. And so I was like, okay, intercessor. I don't know what that is, but okay, yeah, that's what we are. We are intercessors. And so they had a prayer group every Tuesday morning, and it was through them I got my very first prophecy. And my first prophecy was, you really love your friends. You're an intercessor. And it was kind of like, at the time, 
I didn't really know how to take that because because my my girlfriends were getting prayer, you know, prophecies about you're a fireball. You're going to go preach to everywhere. And it's like, and Shannon, you get to pray. You know, I'm like, OK, thanks. You know, it's like I didn't know how to take that. I thought I'd be like relegated to my bedroom and just like I'm in there praying while everybody else is having fun, you know. But I didn't understand the value of what that was. And I discovered what an honor and a privilege it is to be able to pray. So I'm sorry. It's the highest position of influence that we can partner with God to bring his will on the earth, and that we're able to cooperate with the Holy Spirit during prayer. We take hands with him to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a very valuable, important position that he gives to us, and he invites us all, whoever, whosoever will can enter in. So I'm going to kind of give you a little definition of prayer. And to be honest with you, I was looking at, um, like, all the um, – Bible dictionaries and stuff like that and looking up Strong's Concordance. What does this word prayer mean? And so when I looked it up in the Greek, it meant pray to God. And this meant pray. So it was hard to really define it. Um, the simple definition is com- communication between God and man, right? It's a request in a humble manner. This is what I found in Webster's Dictionary. Um, it's to address God in, with adoration, confession, supplication, and thanksgiving. It's an entreating, and entreating is to plead, especially in order to persuade. So when you're praying, you're looking to persuade. And that doesn't mean that God is fighting against us, but, but we are, we're not only persuading him, but he's persuading us in that time of prayer. He's wooing us as we're drawing closer to him, right? So we're imploring, we're making an earnest request for something um, or for someone. And there are all kinds of prayer. So um, I'm going to go over an Apostle Paul. He exhorted us to pray all kinds of prayer. Um, so far in our teaching, we've seen the prayer of faith. We've, pre- we've seen um, Pastor David talked about petitions and agreement. Um, Pastor Scarlett went through the prayers that Paul prayed um, about who we are in Christ and how the apostle prayed for the churches, you know. And so that gives us to, some insight into, as to how to pray. Um, and we're not coming from a position of weakness, all, not in weakness as in like we're all depleted and we have no help. You know, so we're coming from a position of who we are in Christ. And that helps us in our perspective when we pray because our mind and our understanding is involved in prayer. And so if we have the right perspective, then we don't have to be, um, we don't have to come concerned that he's not going to hear us or respond to us. We come with a confidence that if we ask anything according to his, his will, he hears us. So, um, so again, we're going to talk about intercession and watching as well as prayer. Um, so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Now, this is um, if Ephesians 6. He's um, a, The Apostle Paul is talking about the familiar passage about the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. And so it ends in uh, verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, (laughs) that utterance may be given to me, that I may be able to open my mouth boldly 
to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So in this passage, you know, think about the full armor where you're clothed with the truth, the belt of truth. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, and your shield of faith, and you've got the sword, and you're all geared up, dressed up, ready to go for what? To pray. It, it ends in that prayer. That's that's what we're getting all geared up to do is to pray. So the Apostle Paul talks about praying always in every season with all prayer, all kinds of prayer. That means whatever kind is needed at the time. You know, there are different kinds. Sometimes you need the prayer of faith. Sometimes you need supplication or consecration. Um, Supplication specifically, um, I looked it up. It says a seeking, asking, and treating of God. But it also means um, need, indigence, which is extreme poverty. It means um, want, a state of... A state in which things that are essential for human well-being, such as food and warmth, are lacking or scarce. So, you know, when I when I look at that supplication being this thing of like total, uh, like not depravity, but being deprived of things, and and you know, it's like our word of faith mindset. It's like that don't sound like God. <laughs> I don't think that's us. But when you think about the fact that Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." So we, when in a time of supplication, we empty ourselves of ourselves, and we 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 are nothing without Him. That whole mindset of we have nothing except what He's given to us. We are we are poor without Him, but we can say, "Let the weak say, I am strong." We pick up His strength in prayer, but we empty ourselves first in the supplication and the entreaty of God. We are saying we don't have any help of our own to bring to the table. We are we are hungry. We are naked. We need you, you know, and we're coming to him with the confidence that he's completely prepared everything that we need and desire. So um, so that supplication, he said, in the spirit, which means by his direction, by his leading, watching. He said watching. That means being sleepless, being awake, being um, vigilant. It's uh, circumspect and ready. Okay, so this is part of the prayer assignment uh, with all perseverance so that we're being persistent. We're ready. We're um, steadfast attention like uh, like the I think of the over in London, the changing of the guard. You know, they they're just always at attention, ready to move or not to move if they don't <laughs> and supplication for all saints. So this is we were asked here to take on a burden for all the saints, all the believers. Um so this is a description of intercession. We are watching persistent and in extreme poverty on behalf of one another, okay? We are emptying ourselves of our own agenda and our own plans and in favor of picking up the heart of God for somebody else. So we start to see people as God sees them. Um, we pick up their, our, God's heart for them and we are connect, we get knit together with Him and are able to pray His will for them as we intercede. So it's a sacrificial prayer for others. We set aside our own desires in order to pray for them. Okay. And we know that if we seek first his kingdom, everything is added to us. So we're not lacking in anything when we do that. Uh, we're not missing out 
because we've made this choice to follow the Holy Spirit in that. And then Paul says, and pray for me. So this is a picture of a prayer of agreement where somebody comes to you and says, would you pray for me this? And he's listing the specific things. Pray for me that my utterance is given to me, that I open my mouth boldly, you know, and then so you can come into agreement and say yes and amen to that and continue to pray for that. So this is this is just a picture. When I looked at this verse and saw how it broke down, it covers a lot of different kinds of prayer, but it includes both intercession and watching in there. So intercession is a specific kind of prayer. It's um it's defined as an action of intervening on behalf of of another. So when you intercede for somebody, you're kind of you're making up the gap. You're making up a bridge between this party and this party. You're making this pathway for them. Um, in the Greek, it, it's the the definition is, oh, this is the Hebrew, the act of impinging upon another by accident or by violence. And I thought this was kind of interesting. So it's kind of like you're interrupting a, a situation almost by accident, like by chance. So I happen to bump into you. And as I'm, I'm walking along and it's like, oh, as I'm, as I'm praying, oh, I think of, I think of Maria. I think of Michelle. It's like, oh, I bumped into you. And so I'm praying for you kind of a thing. And, you know, so that's, I was like, by accident, because there's a, the Greek and the Hebrew both have that, um, lean toward an accident of falling upon, lighting upon somebody. Um, and in the Greek, it, it comes from a from a root that means to hit the mark. And I thought that was really interesting because we know harmatio means to miss the mark. Sin, the Greek word for sin, means to miss the mark. But intercession, it comes from to hit the mark. And so as we pray for somebody, even if they're falling short, even if they're sin, our prayer kind of gets in there and makes up the difference. And so it comes out hitting the mark the right time so that should give us confidence about our prayers right so if you're interceding for somebody if you have the father's heart from them you cannot pray wrong you are always going to hit the mark um priesthood in the old covenant is a picture of intercession so if you think of the prophet being the one that represents god to the people giving the word of the lord the priesthood is representing the people to god when he's giving his offering and he's giving the prayers he's representing the people to god he acts as an intermediary um intercessors remind god of his word um we're going to look at isaiah 43 verse 25 and the Lord is saying here, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I do not remember your sin. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. So God is inviting us to come in and come state your case. You know, make your entreaty, make your intercession. Come up before me. So um I found a lot of pictures of Old Testament in intercessors, and we'll go over a few of them. Um, Abraham was an intercessor um, when God told him about the judgment coming to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. Abraham pleaded with God and said, will you save for 50 righteous, for 45 righteous? You know, he was negotiating, and God was, was saying, yeah, I'll do it for that. I'll do it for that. Name your price. And it was like he kept he stopped short of of how many, because there weren't that many righteous in the land. Um, but God was willing to cooperate. You know, he could be easily entreated. He's, he's got a soft touch for us. Um, 
Moses was an intercessor before the children of Israel. Um, so the children of Israel had created the golden calf. This is in Exodus 32. Yeah, they created the golden calf. God said, I'm going to get rid of all. I'm starting over with you. And Moses pleaded with him not to destroy the people. If you do that, what are people going to say about you? So he like knew how to negotiate with God and win him over. And it, the Bible says that God repented, you know, that he said, okay, I'm not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Abigail was a picture of an intercessor to David. So he, Abigail in First uh, Samuel 25, she went to David on behalf of her husband Nabal. Nabal had offended David, and David said, I'm going to shut this thing down. <laughs> you know, I'm going to kill them all. And because David had shown Nabal a kindness by protecting his land. And so when when that kindness was not repaid to him, David said, burn it down. We're going to take care of all of it. And Abigail found out about it. She went out. She brought him gifts and entreated with him. And when she did that, she was, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a pretty long passage, but basically she reminded David of his anointing. You know, he not only said it was, it was my fault. It was my fault that the that Nabal didn't serve you well. I was the one in charge of the household. I should have brought this stuff out. So here, here's your food for your, for your guys. And, and the, but he also, she also reminded him of the prophecy that God had given to him that he was anointed to be the king and all these kind of things and just pleaded with him. And if you go down to verse 35, um, it says David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded to your voice and respected your person. So, so this is the outcome of, of true intercession is like you, you go away with peace. You go away with the answer and that God respects your voice. God respects what you have to say. So another um, example of an intercessor was Mordecai. He was an intercessor to Esther on behalf of the Jews um, because they, he knew danger was coming. And he reminded her of her responsibility and said, you know, if you remain silent, God's going to raise up another another deliverer. But remember, you could have been brought to the kingdom for this very time. You were given this royal position for this time. And when she remembered what that she was there for a purpose, for the purpose of interceding, then she interceded to the king on behalf of the people so she laid her life down and she was willing to lay it all down in order to save her people and she became like a picture of what jesus did jesus came and laid his life down on behalf of the people he went to the king laid his life down so intercession like i said has a feel of negotiating and stating your case before god but it's important to keep in mind that this is not an adversarial relationship. It's easy to kind of slip, let your brain slip into that mindset, like it's us against God and we gotta, we gotta pay him the right price to make it work. That's not how it is. He, he is for us. He wants all men to be saved. This is his desire. You're bringing his dire desire before him, reminding him of his own word, of his own word. And he says yes and amen to what we say to him. Okay, so um, in the Old Testament, it also looks like that God was always looking for an intercessor. If you read the prophets in Ezekiel 22, verse 29, it says the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery and mistreated the poor and the needy and wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man 
among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So he was looking for somebody to stand up and say, hey, I'm still here. I still love you. I'm I'm faithful, and please don't hurt the land because of this. And there was nobody standing up. And, and pleading their case before God. Um, the intercessor has the ability to make up a hedge and to bring protection to the people. Um, Isaiah 59, um, the prophet lists a whole bunch of things at the beginning about how Israel had fallen short, fallen short, fallen short. And, and in that, the prophet was saying in verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. And truth has stumbled in public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil has um, makes himself a prey. So there's just all this ravenous evil happening. And the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So it, it puzzles God that nobody stands up and asks for help. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his uprightness held, upheld him. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. So here we go, the armor of God. Um, he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a cloak. So when God saw that there was no man to stand up in the gap, he said, I'm going to go myself. So he answered and he came himself. And so now you see here, this is where the armor of God comes from. So when he says, this is my, you know, I put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet as a salvation as a, you know, as a salvation as a helmet. Um, he wears these things and now in Ephesians 6 we get to wear his clothing. Isn't that something? We're, and we're not just playing dress up. Now it's ours. We can wear them as our own. God could find no one to make up the hedge and intercede for the people, so he came himself in the person of Jesus. And he prophesied that in Isaiah 53. And we know Isaiah 53, um, by his stripes were healed. You know, that's a prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah. But it goes on, it tells more in verse 11. God shall see the labor of his soul, Jesus' soul, and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant, who is Jesus, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil among the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So he laid his life down, and he made a way for us, you know. That's a song. <laughs> he made a way for me. So he made a way for us to come into fellowship with God. And that was the intercession. While he, we were sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. So now Jesus forever lives as our intercessor and our priest. In Hebrews 7, it's, a, it's talking about the former, the Old Testament priesthood. Um, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing the office. So when, when one high priest died, we had to get a new one. So it was a continual cycle of high priests dying and living. And if we got a bad high priest, there was just no blessing on the land at the time. It was like flip-flop. But um, so they were present, prevented by death from continuing in the office. But Jesus holds his high priest permanently because he continues forever. He lives forever. 
Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always, always lives to make the intercession for them. So he forever lives to be our intercessor. He forever lives to be our go-between, okay? Um, he is our intercessor, and he's our advocate. In 1 John 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Amen. So that word advocate, um, parakletos, is, um, it means intercessor. It means counselor, advocate, and comforter. Um, it uh, means summon, someone who's called to come alongside. Um, and to plead your case so you can see how it fits into the whole intercessor thing. It's like a defense attorney is what it, what it ends up being, like a defense attorney um, and a helper, an aider, somebody who comes alongside. It's the same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. So he said on, in John 14, I will ask of the Father and he will give you another helper. I will give you another intercessor, another parakletos to come alongside, and he will be with you forever. And the helper is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him, because he remains with you and shall be in you. So, of course, this was before the cross. He's in us now. Amen. So we have that helper with us all the time. He comes alongside. He he pleads our case. Um, and he's not trying to win God over. He's mostly trying to win us over, you know, with our, with our broken mind, you know, and our, our evil conscience that is always talking us out of the blessing of God. The, the advocate comes along to help us and strengthen us and to say, Hey, God's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. Um, in John 14, Verse 25, it says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is our advocate and our helper, and he sent the other helper to be with us forever. So, and just again, I, I just felt like I needed to keep saying this because it's so easy when we switch, talk about advocate and lawyer and stuff like that. We think God is a judge that's judging against, against us. He's a righteous judge and he judged righteously for us, okay, because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. So now he sees us as, as clean and holy and righteous and, and happy good. Happy good. We are all happy good. So remember in the new covenant, we talked about new covenant. God said that he would never be angry with us or rebuke us. So, so that's the position that we're coming from. He is a father who's willing to help us. And the work of intercession means to help and be an advocate and come alongside somebody's aid. So you see what Jesus does as our intercessor. That's what we get to do as intercessors in the kingdom of God. When we're praying for others, when we're praying for each other's needs, we're coming alongside them. We're helping them. Our prayers are accomplishing much when we can come alongside and come to their aid through prayer. As believers, we all can intercede. And this is not something that's special. You know, like I said, that I have, you know, I received a prophecy. I get an understanding and, and, and you can get a certain grace. But I believe really, if it's in your heart to pray for people, 
and you start doing it, it, it's like what Pastor Scarlett was talking about, putting into practice. As you start practicing it, you will become more comfortable with it. You'll become more, I, I say, my brain is saying greasy with it. You, you become you're like a well-oiled machine. You'll be more confident in your prayers when you take on that burden of intercession, when you take it on, and it won't be heavy to you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He, he, and he's there to help you watch me, work with me, watch how I do it, you know, and I'll show you these unforced rhythms of grace, and it's part of the grace of intercession. Um, there is an or, uh, exhortation throughout the New Testament that admonishes us to intercede and to pray for each other. So in Luke, um, and for pray for other people, not only for ourselves, not only for believers, but for those who despitefully use us. Amen. So in uh, Luke 6, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So sometimes that's the least person that we want to pray for. <laughs> or, or we want to pray one of the Old Testament David prayers about kill them all. You know, we can't do that. We got to do it by love. We got to pray by love, pray by faith. First um, Timothy chapter two is another exhortation from Paul. He says, therefore, I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving thanks may be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here Paul is exhorting Timothy that to continue to pray with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people, for all people, including the leaders that you don't like including the kings who are in authority. Continue to pray for them so that you can live a peaceable life. We pray for them not because of agreement. We pray for them because we want to live in peace. Amen. So a peaceable life and all godliness, they they know our good works and glorify God. Because And also our prayer can... Um, can we can pray for their hearts to be turned and changed and come to repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. So um, James chapter 5, and Pastor looked at this a little bit on Sunday. Um, in verse 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the word confess there is not the homologio word that we talked about when we talked about forgiveness. This word is actually exomologio. So it's um, it's acknowledge, open and joyfully acknowledge. So how do you open, joyfully acknowledge your sin and your fault? It's you're confessing your shortcomings because you know that God has the answer. You can joyfully tell people, hey, I need you to pray for this because I know that when you pray, when we pray together, that God's going to come through. He's going to answer this and this won't be a problem for me anymore. So you can live in a transparency knowing that your prayers are going to be answered. The word for effective, effectual, fervent prayer, that word is energio. Energio, which is sounds like energy, and it it means active and efficient and showing forth might. So it's a strong prayer. I've always heard fervency meaning your your um, 
body, soul, and spirit are in agreement at the time of prayer. So if you're praying, let's say you're praying in tongues or something like that, and you, and but your mind is wandering over here, you're thinking about something else, or you're laying down praying, <laughs> something like that, because that's just more comfortable. Um, I'm not saying God doesn't hear you, but sometimes if you kind of make your body obey you, make your mind obey you, you think about what you're praying, and you and you get in there as a unified being um that's a fervency that that you can see uh quicker results in if you stay fervent in your prayers that way it's not an emotional thing it's um it's a a, a diligence um in the mirror translation it says righteousness is the fuel of an effective prayer so when um where it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much righteousness is a fuel for effective prayer so if you know your right standing with god you know who you are in Christ, then you can go into prayer with full confidence, knowing that you're going to receive. We say that we, if we bring these things to God, we know we have the things that we ask for, right? So there's this, this confidence that comes with prayer, and that is the righteousness that we got through Jesus Christ. The epistle writers were always asking the church to pray for them. I was seeing this too. It says um, in Second Thessalonians verse uh, chapter 3, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable wicked men, for not all have faith. So not all have faith. We need your help. Pray for us. So um, another one was in Hebrews 13, verse 18. And he says, pray for us. We have no doubts about what we're doing or why, but it's hard going and we need your prayers. We all care All we care about is living well for God. Pray that we'll get together soon. So here it is. He's the the author of Hebrews is saying, pray for us. It's rough around here. Keep praying for us and we hope to see you soon. So this is we they stay connected to God and with each other through their prayers. The Apostle Paul talked about the work of the Holy Spirit to help us. Uh, to pray when we don't know how to pray. And this is something I really love about the Holy Spirit, that he's always ever-present to help us. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8, and starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with growing groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So this is where the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit and praying in other tongues is very helpful and valuable because not knowing what to pray for is a weakness. You know, we only know by what we can see or what we can sense. But some things are hidden from us, some things we don't know. And but but we have the spirit on the inside of us who can give us words that we don't have to fill in the gaps. And the way I was I always had pictured it, it was like if you think of like a I know that there's a word for it, but I, I'm thinking of like a mosaic um where you have all the pieces of the of the glass put together, but then there's these spaces, these gaps in between. And that praying in tongues intercession, that's like a gold filling that grouts the whole thing and holds the whole thing together. Well, we don't know what we ought to pray. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and he prays through us the exact details that are necessary for that situation. I'm um, in in the 
church that I was a part of in Ohio, we had prayers that we had written down. And so everybody could pray the word and, and we would pray one person pray in English and the other pray in the spirit. So we knew by the scripture what, what needed to be prayed, but then the Holy Spirit praying it alongside in agreement. And he, I could fit, see him filling in all the details. It's like we're praying for the underground church and he's praying for a specific sister in China that's per, being persecuted at that moment. You see what I mean? So he, we we can pray the general will of God because of the things that we know from the word and we know by the spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit will reveal the things that we need to know in the moment that we need to know it. But he'll come in and he'll just fill in all the gaps. And sometimes he'll reveal them to us. You know, he'll give us an understanding and interpretation. That's why the word says pray that you may interpret. So sometimes we can pray and interpret what we're, what we're saying or, or get an understanding of who we're praying for, what we're praying about. But sometimes a, a, a sacrificed life, you know, if you're living a life crucified to God, then it's none of your business. You know, there's a there's a part of it that you can kind of just, I'm just glad to be a vessel to be used to pray in this situation what's necessary right now. I don't need to know all the details. I don't need to know that's none of my business. I can pray. And there is, it's that secrecy Um and it's not like a evil secrecy. It's a it's a privacy that, that God honors. And He said, like when you pray, shut yourself in your closet, close yourself in. You're not don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You know, there's a there's a quietness that comes in that prayer that it, that it is very effective. And so that's that's something that I find so valuable about the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we pray and we yield to that gift, and sometimes the tongues will sound different. He said that you know groanings that can't be uttered sometimes sighs that you don't you don't let yourself get intimidated by sounds that you don't understand you know go along with it because you can't pray in the spirit wrong you know you're not going to do it wrong you're not going to mess up so cooperate with the holy spirit and he'll start leading you and teaching you how to pray different inflections and different things then you'll see different releases in your heart when you pray in different ways so so He's there with you to help you and to teach you the way that you need to go. So the Holy Spirit knows all things, and he knows the mind of God, and he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If you ever had a person assigned to your life to pray for you, wouldn't you like to have somebody who understood God <laughs> to pray for you? And the one who knew the mind of God, knew the heart of God, and wanted everything for you that you needed and desired, um, that's that's a kind of prayer partner that you want to have. And that's the kind of prayer partner that we have. Amen. So um, in the message translation, it says, meanwhile, at the moment we get tired of waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us. There's the paraclete helping us along. If we don't know how to pray or what to pray, it doesn't matter because he is doing our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows far better what we than we know for ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition. He keeps us present before God. That's why we can be sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Amen. So when we're interceding in tongues, it sounds like wordless sighs, but but we know that all things are working together for for our good because of His purpose for us. Amen. Um, so we'll a cup a verse here. Let me just show you this in First uh, Corinthians fourteen. Um, 
Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. This, so this is just giving you scriptural understanding for what I was telling you before. Uh, the conclusion is what? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and also sing with the understanding. And then he goes on in verse 18 says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So it's like just because your your understanding is not fruitful doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Okay, so thank God that you can pray in tongues as often as you want to. So um, in intercession is a way of bearing each other's burdens. In Galatians 6, um, verse 1, it says, My brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep a watch on yourself so you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we see a brother in a weakness, We're not exposing their nakedness. We're not exposing their weakness. We're praying for them. We're taking the burden and and we're carrying them in our heart because we are motivated by the love of God. Sometimes people will ask us to pray for them and we can come into agreement with them. But ultimately, we're coming to agreement with what God has for them. So if you say, pray for me, this and this and that, we say, I'll agree with you for that, but we're connecting with what God has in store for them, and it's always good. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us something to pray. So sometimes people will come to us and ask us to pray for something, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will come to us and ask us to pray for something and give us something to pray for someone, and he is trusting us to pray. That's a that's a big thing that he's trusting us to pray for them and to carry them in our hearts. And we are to keep praying. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So we continue to pray. That doesn't mean all the time every day just praying 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 but it means that we are carrying that thing in our heart until we see it manifest till we know that the answer is or god gives us a a note of victory that it's done and so we continue that's why it's kind of like a a mothering thing that intercession is it's got um, a nurturing aspect to it where you pick up these burdens and you're carrying them it it reminded me of jesus who he cried over jerusalem he said i've longed to gather you under my feathers i want to i want to take care of you you know and and the but they wouldn't come to him um but that's what intercession does it wants to hover over and it wants to take care um if you look at genesis chapter one in creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So this passage of the Holy Spirit brooding over the face of the water, waiting for the word of God to manifest, that's the same way that the Holy Spirit broods over us during prayer. He's waiting for us to speak the word so that he can manifest and bring about those things that he has given to us to pray. Our faith works by love, and love believes the best for people. So the compassion of God compels us to pray and helps us to carry the prayer in our heart until it manifests on earth as it is in heaven. So um, I'm just real real close. I'm um, The prayer of agreement, Pastor David was talking about it on um, Sunday or a couple weeks ago, and he was saying about the prayer of agreement and kind of talking about you find somebody to agree with in prayer. If you need somebody, join hands with somebody, pray with them so that you can see it happen because where two or three are gathered in the midst, there you are. But I wanted to kind of 
look at it agreement in light of intercession because if someone comes to you to stand in faith with them for something, you know, I'm having a, a challenge in my body or you know, I'm looking for this job to come through, whatever, you then you come into agreement with them. You find a place of standing in agreement and faith with them. And then um, then sometimes in you and you find a word to stand on. A lot of times if somebody asks me for prayer as I'm praying, the Lord will give me a scripture to grab onto. For that prayer, and when we do that, um, when you leave their present presence, you don't let go of that prayer. You stay in faith. That's part of your job as an intercessor to hold on to that thing that you've come into agreement with about. And so, if you if you're like believing for this breakthrough, you know I need a new car, so we pray for a new car. And I thank you, Lord, that you give all everything we need according to your riches and glory. Amen. And then the Lord will remind me about. Pray for Marie's new car. Okay, I'm going to pray for Marie's new car. And then I keep, and then I ask you, how's the car going? Ah, I give it up. I'm not going to get a new car. No, we stood. We believe for a new car. That's what we're standing in. And so then in this intercessor, you come in as an encouragement and remind them of what we agreed on in faith. So when their faith is hanging low and being weak, you get to step in and say, no, I've been, now I'm invested in this. We said we were praying for this and this is what we're, <laughs> this is what we're believing God for. If God didn't tell you anything different, we're going to stand on this thing right here. So that's, that's something that goes along with intercession but I wanted to bring that point of agreement because it's so powerful and you know I have prayer partners that I stand with and we keep up with each other and it's not like an accountability partner where you're kind of looking at everybody's faults but it's like what are you standing for that I can latch on to and agree with you about so it's a it's a real blessing so I'm going to um we're going to go over watching prayer um and again this is something that I learned my my church was called the Ministry of the Watchmen. So um the as a watchman that's something I have ingrained in me and I'm I want to share it with you. <laughs> and it's and it's a kind of intercession, but it's like a prophetic intercession where we watch as well as pray. Okay. And um this is how God has trained me in my in my walk with the Lord. And our cornerstone verse in the ministry is Habakkuk two one. It says, um, Habakkuk is saying, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am reproved. So here we are. The watchman the, is all over the Bible. If you if you look for it, you'll find it. And um, the watchman was the first line of defense. So if you think of like somebody on a lighthouse, you know, who stood at the top and he could see from a distance, you know, if the boats are in danger, if there's rocks and that kind of thing, he knew how to warn and help people. In the same way in the Bible, the watchman, he could see from a distance that there was, if the enemy was coming, he could see if something good was coming, if a message was coming, and he was able to alert, alert the city and be a first line of defense for the city. This is how watching prayer happens. So it's a, it's a place of prophetic insight. The watchman, um, knows that if you're faithful, you will be entrusted with more. So the watching prayer has to do with being consistent and unwavering in your prayer. That's what we were talking about a, li- a little bit. When we, when we're believing for something, we don't move off of that. We stay with that until we see the answer. Because God said that if you believe you received it when you pray, you'll have it. You know, so we're not wavering off of that. We're going to stay in that position of watching as well as praying. 
Um, James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. So so there's a steadfastness. Um, and then, again, the watchman had a high position on the tower to be able to see in the distance. So that's a picture of prophetic prayer and intercession. So you can see from a distance what God is wanting to bring in, and your eyes are open to it. It's a place of declaring God's word in a situation and also staying the attack of the enemy. So when you see the enemy coming, you can keep that warfare in the spirit and not letting it manifest in the natural. You could see it from a distance, bind the enemy so he can't play his games on the earth, okay? So it's a strategic place in the kingdom. Um, prophetic insights of watching lets us see the invisible more profoundly than we see the visible. And um, I'll show you this in Second Kings chapter 6. Um, in this in this chapter, the Syrian king was making war with Israel, and Elisha was able to warn the king ahead of time, the, the king of Israel ahead of time, and say, the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming. And when the enemy heard that Elisha was giving warning, he, he sent his chariots to go after Elisha. So the servant was like, Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> so the servant was upset because he saw every the city surrounded. So in verse 16, so the the Elisha servant had said, Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, don't fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots, and fire all around Elisha. So there was enemies all around, but Elisha knew that there was more on their side than those that were against them. And and he, he prayed that the servant would be able to see in the, in the spirit the same way that he saw. And God lets us see from the spirit the way that he sees. He lets us see that there are more with us than those who are with them. When we see the news and all the garbage that's happening, we know that there are more with us than against us. The earth is not going to hell in a handbasket. The Bible says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and the meek shall inherit the earth. So these are things that we're standing on. We're not standing for unrighteousness taking over. We're standing for the kingdom of God prevailing. So this is we need to pray from that position. When God gives us a watch to pray in a, in a situation, he removes all of our fears. He said, "He said, don't be afraid. There's more with us and those who are with them. He will open our eyes to see from his perspective and let you see his victory. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. We look at the invisible, not the invisible. Since what is seen is temporary, what we can see can all be changed, but what is unseen is eternal. So um, I'm going to skip down to uh, watching prayer being um, a sleepless prayer. It's being awake, circumspect, um, vigilant. Um, and in First Peter uh, chapter five, starting in verse eight, it says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings experienced by your brotherhood are experienced by your brotherhood in the world." So Peter is saying. Be strong and vigilant. Don't let the enemy scare you with his roar. Because that's all he could do is roar. So don't let him shake you up with his roar. Um, resist him steadfast in the faith. In James 4, it says, But God gives more grace. Therefore, 
God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the scripture, it, to me, it, it shows the hand-in-hand hand of intercession and watching. But we are talking about the intercession is submitting yourself to God, laying your life down for God for the prayer, and resisting the enemy. There's your watching, the being vigilant, being steadfast. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we humble ourselves to God, and we resist the enemy. Second um, Corinthians 10, this talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So when you've stood in faith, you're standing, then you know that you can punish every disobedience, every every. Every enemy that wants to rise its head against you, you can punish that and bring it to naught. Ephesians 6, this is the beginning of the full armor passage. It says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So our fight is not against people. It's against every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we can do this in confidence um, because we have been well-equipped and we're standing from the position of faith in Christ Jesus. Psalm 149 shows us a picture of how we resist the enemy. Now, we know Jesus has finished the work. Okay, he came to destroy the works of the devil and he did the job. But the enemy is defeated, but he's still running around and we're executing written judgments against him. Okay, so the things where he's doing that he has no authority to do, that's where we arrest him. Okay, so we're executing our written judgments against him. Psalm 149 says, let the saints, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in, a, in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people. Again, this is not natural people and, and nations. This is the rulers of principalities and powers in darkness. And it says, so we're executing vengeance on the nations, punishment on the people to bind the kings in, their, in chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the written judgments. This honor have all the saints. Praise the Lord. So we have all have the honor of getting our foot on the neck of the enemy. We all have the honor of executing that written judgment against against the, our enemy. Um, this is our honor and privilege. People say God is all powerful. He could just do that himself. It's already done. But he loves to include us in his work. He loves to include us in kingdom work. And think about it. We don't get to do this in heaven. You know, once we're in heaven, it's all beautiful and fun. This is the only place that we get to put our foot on the enemy's neck. Okay. This is the only place that we get to cast out devils. We can resist the devil and watch him run. We can speak to mountains and watch them move, you know. And so we get to use our equipment to push back the enemy and make him obey us. Okay. So in, um, we're almost done here. So in Ephesians, uh, chapter three and verse eight, Paul is talking about his calling, what he was called to do. 
And he said to me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make, make, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent, here we go, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So this is the church's responsibility, to inform principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. We inform them what Jesus has accomplished. You are defeated. You have no right here. Get out. Go home. You you do not have a right to stay here. Um, and I, I was when I was studying this, I was I was listening to something, and it kind of struck me funny. The spiritual warfare, you know, we talk about spiritual warfare and some people, they pull back from it. Some people think it's kind of a new idea. You know, it's like since the 90s, there's been like a resurgence of people talking about it. But I was reading one of the uh, early church fathers. Um, if, if you've ever heard of Origen, he was one of the early church, church fathers. He was around the second century. And it was during a time when Christians were being persecuted in the Roman Empire. He was a strong defender of, of the faith. He was like a Christian apologetic. And in one of his writings, he was refuting the accusations that Christians were not true citizens because they refused military service. So they, so they were... Um, they were not joining the Roman army. <laughs> you know, Christians were, they, they believe what Jesus said. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. We're not, we're people of peace. We're not people of warfare. And, um, so this, this, um, atheist kind of guy was saying that Christians were not true citizens of Rome because of their, um, refusal to enter the army. And Origen disagreed and he quoted, we, who by our prayers destroy all demons, which stir up wars, violate oaths, and disturb the peace, are of more help to the emperors than those who seem to be doing the fighting. So this this church father was saying, we are a blessing to this nation because we're praying. And he declared that Christians were actually the ones making the greatest victories on behalf of the empire because Christians were eliminating the spiritual forces of conflicts. So I thought this was really very interesting that this is this is what our church fathers, this is not something new. This is something that is part of our foundation, that we can address things in the heavenly places. We can address spiritual forces and then make them come down and bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to believe in the power of our prayers to be able to do that. So don't get discouraged. Don't get weary. The prayers that we're praying are effective prayer. They are accomplishing much. We never thought we'd see Roe versus Wade overturned. You know, we thought that that was in like solid and we saw it uprooted. There was a time when we thought we'd never seen the Berlin Wall come down, you know, but we have. And we are going to see more things turn around if we stay consistent, if we stay confident in our prayers. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us tonight. We thank you for opening understanding to us, Lord God, and and letting us understand the power and the authority that we have in you to, to pray for your people and to pray on behalf of your kingdom, Lord God. And we just thank you that you, Holy Spirit, continue to teach us 
things that we need to know. Unwrap these things. Unveil these things to us that we need. And we bless you and we praise you for it. We say yes and amen to the call that you've put on us. And we count it an honor and a privilege to do so for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. See you Sunday.